This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. This week, Jonathan, Keith, and I predict 2020, technology, real estate, and the intersection thereof. Hope you enjoy, and I hope we're right. So 2019 was a year of was a year of tech. Every year seems to be another year of tech. Um, you know, t- technology is certainly a, one of the you know, critical parts of, of what we do, but it's been a, a year where you saw a lot of acquisitions, uh, a lot of evolving technologies. Um, I don't know, what, what do you think, Jonathan? What, you know, what is your look at you know, contextually and Booge and First? And Well, I mean, I look at the, what's happened the last 10 years in real estate tech. We talk about it a lot here, and look, it's, it's not all about tech. It's, this, this is a, a relationship business, and we know that, but technology is becoming more and more of a, um, a, a larger piece, should say, of all of our businesses, whether you're a broker or whether you're an agent. So it's clearly we need to pay attention to it. So I mean, what think about the like the last ten years as we end the near the as we near the end of this decade, the last ten years, when we talk real estate tech in 2010, you know what was it? Like think about when we we were two years in a nest, a year and a half or so in a nest. What was technology back then? It was it was DocuSign, which we still say which was is just awesome, amazing, amazing transformation for our business. Right. We won't, we won't beat that beat that horse here but it was DocuSign and it was leads from Zillow mm-hmm. um, that was considered tech at the time was was there anything else email we, <laughs> honestly we were talking about the quality of the pixel resolution that was changing in the MLS for photography right that and was would it. and would we be in a position where we can actually get our photographers to give us the high enough res right to be able to vow to be able to benefit from what the other portals were doing yeah that's right Mm-hmm. Photography was a big. I mean, we were getting three hundred by three hundred, uh, you know, images. So tiny. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. I think you know. I, I look back to that first video that we did. Yeah. Um. I'll link it in. The, it's all of us looking a little bit younger ten years ago, but I think one of us said at that time said that you know we don't want, we want to use technology, but not for the sake of using technology, but because it's going to make the client experience better. You know, and I don't think anything has changed in how we practice, or frankly, how real estate has been done. Is technology is out there and it can be phenomenal, but if it doesn't add any value, if it's just another t- another thing that client has to deal with, it's not valuable. Right. So I think that w- what we've seen is that you know DocuSign is was valuable from day well, not day one. It took time to, for them to get that the critical mass. Effects. Um, but once they hit critical mass, man, it just changed everything. Really changed and changed a lot. So yeah. So I mean, you, you fast forward from from you know you know basic websites and and electronic signatures and lead gen and video and right. just, you know, where we are today with, um, I mean, there's some amazing technology out there. The news came out recently that a, um, a company called First was acquired by Remax and First has some amazing technology that would, that does predictive analytics for, um, for your clients about what, you know, are they going to, are they more likely to buy or sell and things like that, that, I mean, if we rewind back to 2010, I don't even think that was on our was our no, was our, no. was on our radar, right? Or look, maybe maybe it was. Maybe sending out those postcards. There was there were some postcard companies that would kind of think that they would know who would sell, but it was probably based on hey, you've been in your house for seven years, right. and you're likely to sell. But you know, some of the technology that's out there is 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 really amazing. And 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 we're, we're the other thing that we're seeing now is we're seeing brokerages not only build. So we've seen this evolution where back in the early uh, part of this decade, it was only third-party companies would be building technology, and they would be charging on a monthly fee to agents and brokerages. And now that shift is brokerages are building technology, and brokerages are now buying technology companies to integrate into their tech stack, which is something that 
um, even like three or four years ago, uh, what I should say, 2015 wasn't really a thing, but now it's becoming more of a thing. So that's a that's a trend to really pay attention to. And and tech buying tech, right? So, sorry, the the you know one of the earliest forays we made into looking at third party technology was uh, Bantam, the CRM right. that we had we had yep. looked at. And I want to say that was probably 2011. 2010 it was um, and yep. we spent three to six months kind of testing it trying out what did we want from a serum and before we could launch it to our agents they were acquired by constant contact right um, and they shuttered the product within 48 hours of we kept waiting. The acquisition. we were getting emails saying we're gonna we're gonna re- relaunch yeah. we're gonna reroll out and never, nothing ever never happened. happened right so we you know immediately learned the value of if you're going to rely on a third-party vendor you also can't count on a third-party vendor to be there tomorrow. No, I mean, I think the third-party vendor, it, it's, you know, the benefits are that you're not the one who's outlaying the funds to, to build it and the infrastructure and the, that whole component of it. But the, you know, one of the significant downsides is you don't own it. And that could get, you know, one, sold. I mean, they could sell the whole product off to a competitor or to the open market, or they could sell the data that they've aggregated you know, of your clients and your agents to, to someone else. I mean, it, it's... You lose complete and total ownership. I mean, it sounds redundant, but you lose ownership of that of that ex- experience. And I think there's a heck of a risk for agents and the clients because I think clients, in particular, don't know what they don't know. Yeah, that that bantam moment. How's that for a term? There you that go. Term we should use that bantam moment was a was a point for us where we started to kind of lay out if if we built technology in house, um, right. what would it look like? And I remember we had a white poster board that we had bought at at a drugstore and we had a bunch of sticky notes on that white poster board that we were kind of moving around about you know CRM and transaction management and like all these different components and pieces that we put on there and after having some conversations in our in our early days with some uh, with some developers we realized that we weren't quite ready from a resource standpoint to be able to do that um, but it was on our radar and it kind of helped us to think through processes over that three or four or five year period where we we're thinking about doing it versus when we actually were able to do it. And, and you know, this is, uh, Jesus, is about 13, 14 months since we've rolled out Envoy mm-hmm. um, for agents, and it's becoming more and more robust. It's still very focused on, like, four or five key components of a realtor's business um, and, of, and of, the, of the process. But we're, we're continuing to build that out. And, and one nice part about it is, as of right now, and we're going to, you know, look into integrating some, some you know some third party tech into it because I think you, you have to at, right. at a certain point in time. But as of right now, we have complete control of the system, right? And nothing's going to be kind of the rug isn't going to be pulled out from under us. And our agents know that they have consistency. That they wake up tomorrow morning, their clients are in this client information's in the system and their transaction information's in the system and everything's there for them. And they're not going to have it you know have things change. Well, I think from a loyalty and trust perspective too. I mean, I think that the the agents know when we say that data is yours. Yeah. Full stop. For sure. You know, we can say and and mean it and believe it ourselves is that, you know, if that agent, you know, God forbid they leave, you know, to go somewhere else, they can take that data with them. Right. The user interface may change. The functionality may change. You know, we're going to add improvements to the to the program, probably a lot of improvements Mm -hmm. this year. Um, But. That the core foundation is that data is theirs. Right. And they know that. And, and yeah, look, this is the challenge of going back um, to kind of the situation of, uh, of Contactually, for example. Contactually was a very popular CRM 
um, in the real estate space. It just didn't focus just on real estate, but in the real estate space. Right. And then they were purchased by by Compass. So if you were an agent with any firm but Compass and you had all of your data in that system, all of a sudden a it competitor well, – it wasn't gone, but a competitor it was, had it was access Compass's, to it. Yeah. 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 The competitor could farm that data yeah. and leverage it against you. Yeah. Theoretically. Hypothetically. Well, and the and you know, and the other piece is they also knew how often you were contacting your clients. They knew your right. they knew your patterns of your business. It was um contactually contactually really did a fabulous job of nudging agents to to stay in touch and would track every single one of those contacts. I mean, I used it for a while. I mean, yeah. when we when we were testing CRMs, it was, it was one, great. one of the ones I used. You know, I should look and see if my data got well, deleted. There's one a of my favorites. there's a reason why these companies are being are being acquired because they're very you know, they have they're they're great companies with great products, and these brokerages. I mean, in the case of First, was First was purchased by uh, uh, by Remax, right? And so there's a reason why they're going after them because they're providing a great service. Like First was a looks like I mean, from our conversations with them, it's like they had an amazing product that works. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, but from a tech perspective, I think it's something that again we you know through the lens of social media and, and any tech firm that any service that I've used over the years. Unless it's a you know a Google or an Amazon or you know frankly Zillow of that scale, I expect that it's going to get sold at some point. I mean, right. it's either going to get sold or it's going to get shut down. Right. I was looking through my use you know the One Password app. I was going through my passwords last week, and then you know I've got like fifteen hundred passwords and logins, and the number of companies in there that are defunct is astonishing. You know, just, you know, you, cre- you log in, you create a thing, you know, create a login at this one service, and then two years later you go back, oh, they're gone. Yeah, not around anymore. You know, it's so a tough space. It's a tough space. I think it's one that if, you know, you, you, you can be a small company for, for only so long, and then that two, three, four-man team, four-person team, you know, I think that, you know, they're, they're going to be looking for an exit at some point. Right. Yeah, that, that whole concept of scaling, you know, in the, in the brokerage world, you know, we've talked about this, but brokerages are – Typically built for, you know, these generational type of businesses like that, 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 you know, there's not a lot of, in, 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 in most cases, um, some exceptions clearly, but in most cases, brokerages kind of start as grassroots and they grow and they grow and they grow and technology companies are in a different boat where typically requires funding up front and that mm-hmm. funding up front and in the early stages means that there's different plans for for them down the road right um so yeah so i mean uh, what i mean so the other the other big thing that's happened over the past decade is there's now this whole concept of real estate brokerages being tech companies and i think that this is uh it's maybe a sexy thing to say that uh, you know hey we're a tech company and right. we're, not, we're not a real estate brokerage because being a real estate brokerage isn't isn't quite as sexy as saying you're a tech company what are your thoughts on that it's it's entirely a statement of you know we're we're doing this to change the way that the public finance market is perceiving us as a firm, right? I mean, this is the we work. We're not we're not in the business of co working space. We're a tech company. We're not, you know, this is entirely what kind of multiple are we looking for? It's it's not a it's not a statement of of really where their focus is. And when you look at you know Keller Williams coming out saying we're a tech company, and they had um, agents leaving because they said we want to be with a brokerage. We're in the real estate business. We don't want to be in tech. And I think that that ebbed pretty quickly, um, but. I do think that there is a real question when you look at your leadership and you say, what is the business that I'm in? And does my leader think that I'm in the same business or that he's in the same business? And I think that's that's a big question. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I, you know I, I look at the WeWork example, which 
again, they, they'll go down in books of just how do you how do you define disaster? It'll be WeWork. But I think that they had they didn't have the sexiest business in the world. But there's nothing wrong with what they were doing. What they were doing was a great business. It just wasn't worth fifty billion dollars. No, it was worth you know fifty million <laughs> or, or whatever. But I mean, I think that they had a they had a good business. It was they could have they could have just chugged along and right. done their business and grown and grown and grown at a good good and reasonable path. Um, and then they became like the tech sexy bit that just threw it all sideways. But I think that you know from a brokerage perspective, there's nothing wrong with being a real estate brokerage and using tech appropriately. Right. So you this know? is this is kind of the, the the trend that that I'm that I'm seeing is, you know. At least for us, right? I'm I'm looking at at who we are at as Nest and saying, look, we're a real estate brokerage at the core, but right. we have a technology f- component of what we do, and we have a, we focus on marketing, we focus on operations, and you know, kind of here's the things that we focus on, kind of in addition to just being that that real estate brokerage. There's additional aspects of it, so we're not a you know we're not a marketing company, but we're we have a big component of our company that's a marketing company. We're not a tech company, but we have a component of our company that's technology. Well, I think we're, we're better. We are a far better real estate brokerage at our core because we use marketing well. We use technology well. We staff well. We, we have our people. Our, pe- our people are phenomenal. You know, the people that we, we have helping us are incredible. But to go back, you know, your statement earlier of, of in the early days, we were looking at tech for this, you know, the question of using tech for the sake of tech. And I remember sitting, before we ever started Nest, I remember sitting in a presentation for the virtual tour software that would sketch together, you know, your the same photographs you had in your listing photographs. They would stitch them together and do a little Ken Burns. One, it had music, video. and two, I used it. Did. it. <laughs> and it was, what, like 29 bucks, 39 bucks you right. paid for it, and, and you could create these these giffies, basically, of, of the images. And... I remember sitting there and the guy, and it's it's been said and we laugh about it, but it's been said in so many different presentations, you know, you can buy this and if you just get one listing off of it. But it was never, nobody ever spoke of this will help you sell houses, this will help you get business was the only thing that was ever said. This is going to make you look different from your competition. And I think that comes down to where we're trying to build our tech is what's the tech that makes your business more efficient? What's the tech that makes the sales more rapid what's the what's the tech that aids us in in actually the end user experience and that's that's the piece that i think so many of these tech platforms are missing yeah i guess i got distracted because i was thinking about another one of those visual tour companies that did that just it stitched them together and then they sold you know and they sold they sold off they the, the guy who started it did really really well and i think it's actually still out there you know. Well, and I, do, I, I will say, though, it, you know, nothing against virtual tour because the reality is that has led to Matterport. And I think Matterport as a platform does transform the way that, that the, the buyer can view a property. Right. And I think it is, you know, that's one of those places where the baby step to get there may not have been valuable. The it, final end result it's is. It's an evolution. Every step is valuable. Even if, even if it's a misstep, that step is valuable. So, I mean, I think that the, you know, the, tech, the, the tech that we've seen, that we're seeing today came from a tech that we saw 10 years ago. And to be perfectly frank, I don't know that we can even imagine what the tech is going to be in 10 years. You know, maybe no. it's, you know, teleporting in or holograph in to, or hologram in to, to look at, to walk through the house. I mean, you can do that now to a certain degree, you know, who knows what, what the tech is going to be. But I think the key is going to be choosing what we implement well, listening to the agents in, in the industry and picking those tech things to try. Heck, we QR codes. 
<laughs> we did those in our signs you know, years ago. And my favorite Scott Stratton book of QR codes kill kittens. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but it was, it, was a ta- it, was, it was a thing that now is, except for the ones on the back of taxi cabs, which I don't understand, QR codes on the back of taxis. You clicked one when we were at New York. <laughs> I did do that. You did. And it goes to a website. It's just another URL. But I think that the, the tech that we use, I think it's, you know, it's a stepping stone to the next thing, whatever that might be. But, you know, until, the, until they sell and they take all my data, I'll keep using stuff. So, all right. So on, on the tech side, though, one of the other discussions we've been having at association levels and, and within the company are firms. Um, so Lone Wolf is a, is a tech provider. They provide accounting software, which Nest does utilize. They also um, own a company, Transaction Desk and Lathenasign, which many of the associations that are affiliated with, with agents in, in the Nest family, um, they provide that as a service. They also own ZipForm, which does the same thing as, as a, a transaction desk. That platform, which is owned by Lone Wolf, has so much information about our clients. And the question is, do our clients care or should they care about the way that when we enter data about their contract, it can then be sold to a Home Depot or a Lowe's as you know, $10,000 is the average amount spent by a a purchaser of a home in the next 30 days after they buy the house or 60 days, what's the... What's soon, the soon after closing, they spend 10 grand. They spend 10000 on average. So there are a lot of businesses out there that want to know who our clients are, where they're buying, what their price points are, and all of that is now available. Um, you know, thoughts on, on how we should be informing our clients? I mean, I think I'll step back to... You know, should consumers care about their data? Absolutely. Do they? No. I think that you know. I think that for the most part, consumers, if they cared about their their data and they cared about privacy, they would use two factor authentication on everything that they do. You wouldn't see stories of ring, ring videos or cameras being hacked with hacked in houses. People would take the time to set a strong password. So yeah, they should care, but they should be secure in their and you know take the time to secure their routers and their cameras and their HVACs and their worlds. But I think that we're in a space now where. You know, we all have you know tracking devices on our. You know, our, our phones are all tracking us at every point of every day. I think that the complacency that we have is one that um, it's just part of our world is we are complacent with our privacy. And this is where I start ranting and sounding like a crazy person. Well, we're we're a little bit numb to it. So somebody came up to me after our our summit recently, and I had I'd had a two minute um, foray into talking about Allbirds, the the shoe right. shoe company. Right. And somebody came up and said, "Hey, I'd never heard about Allbirds before." But within an hour after the summit, I started getting Facebook ads for Allbirds. Yeah. Um, and so three years ago, we would have been like, this is um, unbelievable, right? Yeah. But we've all listened to these podcasts and had that happen to us. And so we just think, well, that's what happened. Our devices are listening to everything we say or everything the people around us are saying. And no, I, mean, just- I, I mean, I think we look at, th- I mean, I think from a brokerage perspective, though, we look at it from, through the lens of liability because it doesn't matter how complacent they are. If a brokerage, not Nest, if a brokerage gets hacked and then there's, there's a class action lawsuit, that's where the where the ramifications will come. That that's where the privacy takes you know takes hold and, and is val- valuable. Yeah. But from a practical measure, I mean, I think that we should all know where our data is going. You know, I think we should all know, you know when I input a con- input the information into an offer, and email it over. I think that it, to the other agent, you know, I think that I should know how that data is being fa- being farmed. But I think it's also from a, you know stepping back a little bit, you know it, it was it was only until about two years ago where three years ago where we where, you know most agents would still send copies of the earnest money deposit check, right, which is insane, 
to to take a copy of that earnest money deposit check with the, with all the stuff that's on a check and email it through Google. Right. And then Google had you know just and then trust that the person on the other side is going to treat it with you know treat it the way it needs to be right. treated. Right. Well, I mean, and, and to be fair, I mean, Google farms. I mean, they read every single email and they farm every single thing. So they have a uh, they have a portfolio for every person for everything in there. So it's a it's a it's a thing that agents it's incumbent on agents to be mindful of privacy and not send copies of the checks. You know, and just be very careful with how they treat the the client information. It, it's it's valuable and it's in our you know I think it's I see it as our fiduciary duty to protect data as best we possibly can. Yeah, I mean, and how many times have we heard cases in 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 recent memory where people say I don't have checks like what what do i do and they're starting to become escrow earnest money lone wolf i got uh, a spam from their any uh, marketing email from them the other day yep um so, yeah but a lot i mean a lot of my clients I, when i say i need a check they'll say you need a what yeah <laughs> well you can get a counter check at your bank my bank is in you know right New i don't know where yeah there's they're on the internet i and we, we make we, we make it work yeah so that kind of bleeds into uh you know kind of looking looking forward like what are the predictions like do we think that Escrow and earnest money deposit checks are not around in in uh, in the next couple of years. Two years, four years. I mean, I, honestly, the the I mean, we have so many clients who ask to wire them, and all we have to do is say, it costs you twenty seven dollars to create a wire, and it costs us twenty dollars to receive it. And that's that got to change. It, it ha- that that transactional cost has to go away because we can't. You know, the, you were not allowed legally to take it as part of our escrow. Um, you know, we're not allowed to take it out of the escrow account. Right, so. Right. It, it becomes an operational expense that can't be, you know. I tell my cli- I just tell my clients it's, it's complicated and it costs twenty five dollars. Yep. And, Ven- uh, Venmo, and go get a counter. When, when people are going to start Venmoing escrow money? <laughs> oh, I do that all the time. Oh, am I supposed to turn that in? <laughs> but wouldn't that be great though? It'd be instant, right? Yeah. And it would never touch your hands, Jim. It would yeah. go straight from client to. So, I mean, that's this is what these companies. This is what these companies are doing. They're right. kind of going down that path, and it makes sense. Yeah. Well, they're really removing nice. the friction as they best are. they possibly can. They're yeah. removing the friction to the transaction. Yep. Um. Yeah, so I think the earnest money deposit checks are, you know, less in the next two to four years. We're not going to get rid of them. You know, we're we're a slow industry right. to move. Um, yeah, so I mean, if if checks are gone within the next two to four years, um, predictions for next year, two, ten years. I mean, I'll, I'll take I'll take a leap. You know, so I think mine is that. What did I write that down? Amazon is going to buy either Zillow or Redfin or both within the next five years. Pretty bold. That would obviously make some waves. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, part of it, I can see it makes sense. Um, at this point in time, Amazon really isn't in the real estate space. They kind of dipped their toes in the water with a deal with uh, kind of a lead gen deal with Realogy uh, back in July. Right. This past summer. It's been that long. Summer and, of and they're 2019. Trying, and they're trying to get agents to be part of their, um, their referral team. And, uh, wow. Yeah. Setting setting that up, so they've 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 dipped their toes in a little bit, which makes you think that they're going to dip their toes into something. They're definitely they don't dip their they don't dip their toes in anything. Well, they, are they start they're, by they're, dipping they're, their toe, but then it, they jump in. Maybe from the from the from the from our standpoint, it looks like they're dipping their toe in, but they may not be dipping their toe. They're they're doing more than that. Yeah, behind the scenes. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, look, I mean, Amazon. It's easy to argue that they can get any into any business after they purchase Whole Foods. Right. Uh, was it last year or the year before? No, two years. Two, two years. A couple years. Of years ago. Time flies. Um, so that was something that blindsided people um, when that when that news came out. So that 
now we shouldn't be surprised if they jump into any industry. I right. think that if they start to look, I'm, and I'm not a I'm not a legal expert, uh, so I'll preface that. But I think if they start to kind of expand uh, into too many industries, then there's going to maybe be some governmental issues with uh, with some government investigations and and the the call for the breakup of Amazon. Right. So you know I'll I'll counteract your your prediction and say that if that happens and there's going to be a major call, then they're, they'll probably be in more than just real estate. Right. right. Um, and there's going to be a, a call for the breakup of Amazon. Oh, and they buy Lowe's, too. Lowe's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which just becomes a, a local warehouse for all of their uh, their pick and ships. Oh, man. I mean, the, the warehousing that Amazon has around the country is just unfathomable yeah. with how much they have. What do you think, Keith? So I'll, I'm going to go. I'm going to go much lower key in terms of of where I think the prediction is. I think, you know, we we sit and study the market as much as we can and, and learn as much as we can. I think 2020 is is going to be a year. Right now, we're looking. Everything is looking very stable in terms of of the economic side of things. Um, but I will say, forgetting everything that's going on with uh, impeachment trials and and other uh, Capitol Hill frustrations and fights. The reality is, even before this year, every single presidential election year becomes a, a year of, of quandary for buyers and sellers. People are, are always a little bit more hesitant to do things when they're not exactly sure where things are going to be at the end of the year or in the beginning of the next year. And I think 2020 is going to be no different. We're going to probably start off this winter and this spring with very strong sales. We're going to start seeing a little bit more inventory coming into the market. I think buyers are going to be able to be a little less frustrated with, with supply um, this spring. But by summer, I think the, you know, the the primaries and the the election will start to wear on the country, and we're going to start seeing more people holding off in that third quarter. Um, and then the fourth quarter, we'll see a relaxed, uh, you know, buyer pool again. It's it's just that's kind of what we do every four years. It's a great time, great time to take a vacation in, in December of, of 2020. It's a great time to take a, a vacation in August. Um, I think that's that's when we're going to see people just kind of holding their breath. Uh, I'm not sure where we're going. So you think that that spring market is early this year uh, in most markets and then it kind of stops a little earlier I, you know it is funny i think spring market is always so weather dependent and, and especially uh where we are in the mid-atlantic we see a lot of of shifts of when things start based on whether or not we have february snowfalls um but i do think that in the spring i think we're gonna we're gonna be feeling like 2020 is off to a great start and i think by summer we'll start to feel a little bit of that slowdown and by third quarter we're definitely I mean, We're saw, definitely feeling less, and fourth quarter should be back again. Yeah, I mean, I saw a headline yesterday, two days ago, that you know, saw the headline. It jived with what I, you know, what I believe. And it was in Realtor.com had a story that said that the buyer market or the the real estate market has been shifting earlier and earlier, and now it's starting mid January, early January, which I think we've all been seeing that yeah, for yeah, the last few for years. Sure. I, I think honestly, you know, I'll never throw that out, but I think as long as supply is unbelievably low, I think buyers are prepping themselves earlier and earlier to get ready and they're jumping faster and faster and that makes this entire spring market accelerate in ways that that if we had adequate supply i don't think you'd see it as much well i think so long as the buyers have job stability and so they they are in x firm and they know they're going to be the seven years ever so yeah that's not a problem well but no but so if the buyer and my, my point is that if they are able to stay in the market because sometimes you have a buyer who's in town for seven years and it takes them three years to find a house sure. They're at that break point of, do I just keep renting or do, will I buy? So it's a matter of maintaining that relationship with that buyer for one, two, three seasons. So when that house finally does come on, they're ready. They're ready and, and, and you're in touch with them and they're ready and they're prepped to jump. 
So I think that the buyers, I think 2020, that component will be much like the last five, seven years. Buyers who have been burnt in the last two years, one comes on that, fit, that fits what they're looking for, they're going to jump. Yeah, all right. I'd see. It. I I see this year as a kind of continued evolution of the market, and I, I completely. I think we're all on the same page. That the first half of the year is going to be kind of just chug along, and there's a pretty decent chance that we slow down. But you know, the predictions that I've seen out there from National Association of Realtors and Virginia Association of Realtors, specifically, I haven't looked at other states to this point, are still predicting sales increases from 2019 to 2020, sure. somewhere in that one to three percent mm-hmm. range, depending on depending on the region. So. There's still positive signs out there. Home builders that I've spoken with are, you know, very positive, and their con- sales continue to chug along with them. Like, right, the economy's good. Rates are still low. Or there's all these signs that's pushing towards 2020 could be a good year. And the big asterisk in is the election. Or I sh- probably not even asterisk. It's a, a kind of the big looming that thing. That, that thing question that's looming yeah. is is the is the is the election. Um, and there's a lot to be determined with right in the next 11 months about what's yeah. going to happen with that for sure. Uh, I'll say the last thing that I think maybe we wrap it is I, I think that the, that 2020 will be a year where we won't see as much blockchain stuff coming, coming to four, but I think we will see more AI that, that takes hold of uh, from a brokerage level. You see that more at a, at a con- brokerage consumer level. AI gets, it gets more, more offerings that are going to be able to be implemented at scale. Um, from a, from that perspective. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I'd also kind of piggyback off of that and say one of my predictions, uh, and I've, uh, one, of, one of my predictions is these recent acquisitions of, you know, the, these large national brokerages like Remax and other companies buying, buying tech, uh, third-party tech companies, that's going to keep going, right? We're going to, that's the, the, the first acquisition by Remax and Remax um, acquiring uh, Bouge uh, in the past and Compass acquiring contextually, that's a trend we're going to see. And there's a couple of reasons why I think that. But one of the reasons is reading the article in Inman, and we're, and we're friends with Mike Schneider at, uh, at first um, and, and really happy for him and, and, uh, and what he's done and what he's going to do. But um, the Inman article that I read and his quotes saying that he initially had conversations with one brokerage company and then they opened it up and he they ran and the process. Like they ran the process, and there were several suitors. So it's clear right. that there's an appetite out there and a desire and a need, a perceived need, by these large national brokerages. And not even national, large brokerages. Mm-hmm. could be large regional, large national brokerages to take on, to maybe not build all their tech and acquire some tech and bring it in-house. Um, and so I think that that trend is going to continue. I, I think that any business is, is open for solutions. Yeah. And, and if the solution, if you're looking for this one thing and then, that other thing pops up that you're like, oh, that fits that hole we were trying to fill. Okay. And- yeah, I mean, the one the one interesting part to that is if you look 12 months back, 36 months back on the on the tech side, obviously first, according to Inman, raised more than 11 million in their initial rounds. I think contextually was was you know a 10 million or 15 million dollar plus raises before they they sold to Compass. You know, you've got to have the money in the in the venture level to invest in these firms before they can build the product to the point where the the firms want to take them and, and have the exit. And so it's going to be fascinating to see how the venture money is continuing to flow into real estate tech. And, and um, I don't see any sign of that slowing down at all. If anything, we're going to, I think we're going to see even more in the, in the early stage uh, pieces. Cause what we're seeing is these guys are exiting after relatively small amounts of investment. I mean, 15 million is not that much money 
for a lot of these companies when they're when they're looking at their total development costs. So if if venture firms are seeing uh, real estate tech companies being able to have a three year exit plan, you're going to see a lot more money flowing into this into the space. True, but also keeping in mind that there's a, such a small group. Of, of actual of, exits of, of folks that can that can acquire and that can pay that money like right. there's right we can we can on two hands one hand you yeah. could probably name the the entities um that could do it except so, that, except that several of those those companies can acquire so many of these firms right I mean, the reality is redfin has the public market now to go after for money they can be acquiring what they want zillow has more than enough cash realtor um we're know, going long but i think there's a cap on the market i mean i think you've got what 6.5 million you know, transactions per year. You got 1.2 million yeah. uh, agent uh, realtors out there. I mean, there's a finite level to what that yeah. market is going right. to be. Right. You know, so I think it's. I think that my my takeaway is that be mindful, be involved, and be aware of what's happening because there are going to be transactions happening uh, you know, at the tech level that are going to impact our our agents on a weekly and monthly basis. And just be aware of what's happening. Yeah, for sure. Sounds like a great way to end everything. Here's to a good, uh, a good. Nah, I'll say a great. good 2020. A great 2020. What great the hell? 2020. Here's to a great 2020. Let's do it. Thanks All for right. listening, y'all.